in verses 12 and 13 this morning. I Today I got the fancy clicker, actually. Don, yes. Eclipse, yes. Verses 12 and 13. So you, you can read them right here, but I also really encourage if you have a Bible or the person next to you, turn to them to open the Word. And uh, these verses, we really just want to focus in on two of them today because they're so important, possibly two of the most important verses in the Bible when it comes to this marriage of God's grace and our response to it, of our obedience and divine intervention. So that's what we're going to get into this morning. The, um, you know, the College Press, uh, I wrote a quote down and put it this way, that glorious grace does not excuse from work. If work could earn salvation, the inworking of God would be unnecessary. If grace alone were sufficient, there would be no call for human effort. So today's about balancing that human effort and God's effort, our work and God's work. But let's just start with a word of prayer if we could. Uh, Father God, I just thank you for what you've already worked together this morning with uh, the music, with everyone who prepared, who put chairs out, everyone who came to serve, everyone who worked, and as you worked in that, God. Um, I pray we can really do your word justice today. I pray that you can do your word justice, that it can really be communicated, that it can be on our hearts, that we can see what it means in our own lives and personalize it, God. And I thank you for everything you've given us and for the opportunity to share this word, to even have it before us and read it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13. And I appreciate that Madison read uh, the first part of Philippians 2, which uh, Ron preached about last week. And it's, it's so much the crux, it's the center of the entire book of Philippians. We're going to read it again because this word therefore comes up at the beginning of verse 12 right there. Therefore what? Because of what? You kind of got to know what comes before. So this is where I don't have a slide. We all got to pick up our Bibles. And we're going to read again in Philippians chapter 2. You kind of just go back. You notice the therefore in verse 12 there. Well, in verse 9, there's a therefore. And in verse 1, there's a therefore. So we got to see what those say. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There's one motivation. One of these, therefore, is for this working out of our salvation. Why work? Why obey in Paul's absence? Well, because we do get this encouragement. We do have this love. We do have this common sharing in the Spirit. And then we get a second motivation, picking it up in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
So the motivation, the, uh, the calling in the first part of the chapter to be humble, look to the interests of others, to be obedient, to be a servant and serve others, it's because Jesus already did it first. It's because we want to imitate him and follow him. Madison said, what does it mean to make Jesus Lord and follow him? It is very much to follow his footsteps, to walk with him in relationship with him. Verse 9, our other therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Yes, there's, a, there's an obedience and there's a following Christ that's a motivation, but then after it, there's this motivation that as Jesus was exalted, there's also an exaltation for those who obey Jesus, who obey God like Jesus was obedient, even to death, even to the cross. So uh, our verses are sandwiched. We have this before motivation of what's already taken place, what's already happened. Well, Jesus was obedient and he died for me on the cross. And he says, if I obey him, there's going to be this exaltation. That's, that's a good motivation. But it's also sandwiched with verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to work and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And our works are sandwiched in between that. Let's start breaking it down. As you have always obeyed, Paul says, my dear friends, if you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, now much more in my absence. Who's ever worked on the job and, you know, when the boss is around, people tend to go a little faster and work a little harder, right? It's kind of just the humanist part side of us, right? Sometimes our work ethic, it's not a good work ethic, it kind of goes that direction, right? When other people are seeing it. Um, and then when the boss is gone, yeah, people, they kind of slumber around. When the boss is there, they start paying attention. But Paul makes it very clear, hey, I'm not going to be around to police you guys. I'm not going to be around to, to strike fear in your hearts and say get back to work. There's a much more powerful motivation at play here when the boss is not around. In fact, Paul says they're going to work much harder in his absence. So a little bit different than how we live out our jobs in the world. When the boss is gone, we're going to work even harder, so to say, if Paul is their boss, is the leader. We're going to work even harder when the leader is away. And Paul makes it very clear because it is not to work for our salvation, but it is a working out because of our salvation that we've received. He wants to make it clear, hey, it's not a fear of me as your leader, but it's a fear of the Lord as your Lord. It's a relationship. That's what's going to be much more powerful. Even in his absence. Paul says it elsewhere that we're not given a, a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption, a spirit of sonship. Knowing that, that God is our Father. Knowing that we've had this salvation. That's the spirit we should go about this work. In Paul's absence, it's totally made up for by God's presence in our life, by knowing him being in Christ. And that's really the context of all of Philippians. You have to remember, he's not writing to people that are looking forward to salvation or baptism or repenting and becoming a Christian. He's writing to a church of God's holy people. That's what it says at the beginning of Philippians. He's writing to a church of disciples, people who are already on their way 
Jesus has already died for them and they've accepted that. But now that they've accepted that, how are they going to continue to follow him and live that out? Paul had a great work ethic, but he did not have a works for salvation ethic. And that's why they're going to increase while he's away. With that motivation, our responsibility increases. It's really crazy. We tend to feel like we have less responsibility when others are away, right? Oh, it's their responsibility. They can worry about it. No, our responsibility is even greater because Christ is in us and Paul is not around. Work out your own salvation. A lot is said right there. Let me go to this word right here. It looks a little hard to pronounce. Lexi, do you want to shoot for it? I'm just joking. <laughs> Katergazomai is the Greek word for that working, working out. It, immediately, I, I think of just as a, an American male, uh, working out, what does this mean? Oh, working out. Like when you go to the gym. Has nothing to do with this Greek word. <laughs> but I think that way. It, it's always the idea of bringing something to completion this working out. Not just I'll, I'll put in a little work or I'll try a little bit and if it works out, it works out. No, it, it will work out. It will be brought to completion. It will not stop halfway. It's not half the job, it's the full job. It's bringing it about. It is producing. When you see how Paul uses it in all his other letters, usually it's not translated in the English or the NIV as work. Usually it's translated as produce. Produce your salvation. A producing, a preparing, a causing to happen, a continuous, sustained effort. It implies an ongoing, habitual action, not a once and for all action, not a one and done. But when it comes to our salvation, we got to think of it in that way. It's not, well, I thought about Jesus and I prayed a prayer once, so now I'm done. Now the work is done. No, it needs to be continued to work out. In the same way, again, American male, I think of going to the gym. Right, working out to me that means pumping some iron. When uh, somebody does that, you, you can tell, right? You go up to them and say, "Hey, do you work out?" Like, do you work out, right? You don't walk up to Woody Allen and say, "Hey, do you work out?" You walk up to Mike Tyson and say, "Hey, you probably work out, right?" Uh, Connor, you work out with Dan Lauterbach, right? At the U of O in the rec center, right? We can tell, you know. And uh, no, I knew that from a board. <laughs> if you, who's ever been to the gym? You know, you can tell who's working out, right? And sometimes you see those people who are just looking in the mirror, right? Or they're just like texting and sitting on the machine or taking a selfie. And maybe they caption it like working out, but they're not working out. <laughs> okay? It's very much the same idea that this katergazomai, this working out, it, it is evident. It is going to be brought to completion. It is going to come to a place where people are going to say, that guy works out. But again, that's the American way of looking at it. In Greek, the analogy, the, the literal word meaning was to, to pull something up out of the earth, to, to pull something up from the deep, all the, the precious jewels, if you will. They would apply it to mining or it's applied to harvesting. We got Lewis and Trey right here, they're farmers. Um, if you just throw the seed on the ground, what is it gonna do? Germinate, Germinate perhaps, right. 
But but Trey, you you were you had a harvest this past season, right? And he had to work at that. It, it really took a whole village, right? I think Grandma was out there in the field. He, he got everybody to work at this. It, it would have been much difficult, much more difficult if it was only you, right? Yeah, it, it's just like the gym. If it's only us, sometimes we need that spotter, right? That encouragement, somebody to spot us. When we're bringing something to a harvest, we kind of need the full village to come in and help us harvest that field. I don't know anyone who's tried to dig a gold mine by themselves, but that's also a difficult task. And that gold mine or planting that field, it's not just going to happen throwing that one seed at the ground. You have to work it out. The gold's not going to bubble up out of the earth. And oh, this gold mine really paid off. You might have bought the land, but you need to work out that land again. You need to cultivate that field, mine that earth. You know, I think about it even with, uh, this is my personal analogy, where I think of Sersha, our daughter on the way, Madison and I are pregnant. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not just a one and done act. That requires a lot of working out to raise a child. And I was very appreciative. Yesterday we got together with uh, some of the Marys in the church, and they were giving us a lot of advice for, for how to raise our future child. It takes a village to raise a child. And when the baby is born, that's not just a one-and-done act either. It's not my job is done or her job is done. It's continued to be worked out. The thing is, when we only look back to a single event, we begin to wander from the faith and no longer cultivate the faith. It's no longer a day-to-day walk or a daily working out. That muscle begins to fade off your body, right? You lose it. In order to keep cultivating it, in order to work out our salvation, we need to walk with God. We also need to walk with others to continue working it out, working it to full completion. So now we're actually we're back to another balance, not, not a God and man balance, but in a my personal salvation and working out salvation together. How do you balance that? If I have my spiritual spotter, if I have my brother encouraging me. Well, the verse says, and I'll just go back, your own salvation. (laughs) At the end of the day, it's your own salvation. But what we tend to do as Americans is we really, we make it very, very personal. This is just me and only I can talk about my salvation. When again, Paul's writing this letter to a whole church. It's a corporate salvation, a communal thing. Hey, work out your salvation together. In the same way that we need to personally work out our salvation with God, I need to work things out with the people in this room. If I, if I have a, a grievance towards somebody, if I'm embittered towards somebody, I need to work that out with them. Or if they see something in me, Joey, you know, you seem prideful and you're acting on it. They need to work that out and bring that to my attention so that I can keep growing, so that I can keep working that muscle. Second Corinthians 7.15, you could turn there, but I believe I have a slide for this as well, to sort out some of that balance of this communal versus uh, the personal. Second Corinthians 7.15, and his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. And there's actually Paul talking about Titus coming to the Corinthians. And, and actually, in context, that chapter, there's a lot of rejoicing, and there's a lot of comfort and compassion. But he says it's great, because when Titus came to you with this affection, 
You received him with fear and trembling, and you obeyed him. It, it wasn't just you and God. Titus came into the picture to help you along, to help you towards repentance in that scenario. First John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. I, I can't just say it's only me and God and I don't have to live this walk this walk or live this life with the other Christians in this room. We need to work it out together. Back to the context of the Philippians, though, Paul makes it very clear, hey, you, you can't live vicariously through me. You can't just say you're a part of Paul's ministry. Oh, he's off in prison somewhere, and yeah, my salvation, I'm a part of Paul's ministry. It comes back to the individual as well. Leadership helps us. One another helps us. But at the end of end of the day, it's we're either going to be called a good and faithful servant or he's going to say, I don't know you. That's where it comes back to us personally. You know, I, I used to uh, abuse that in the scripture, actually, when it, when it came to the, the fear and trembling. Let's get into that. And I used to abuse it because I'd bring up the scripture and I felt like people would sort of take the teeth out of it just right off the bat or they'd sort of sanitize it and say, this fear and trembling, it's just, uh, you know, it's just a reverent awe, and that's the only way you should think about it. I go, no, fear is fear. Trembling is trembling. And I just thought, no, that, that just shows how powerful it is and how, how serious God is about this. But I even used it to, before people were Christians, to think about salvation. Say, hey, you should work this out, fear and trembling. You should take this more seriously. So I wanted to convince them. So I wanted to show them how serious it was. And I, sometimes I would even read it and I wouldn't include verse 13. Yes, there's a fear, but there is an equal comfort right after it. So that's where I abused it, with, with only reading the latter half of verse 12, hey, have some fear and trembling, and not reading verse 13, which brings in the comfort. We gotta be careful to strike that balance, not to sanitize this, but also not to overdo it or abuse this scripture. Fear and trembling towards God, I actually think, and I'm grateful for AJ, he's going to touch on this more in our communion and talk to us about that reverence. I'm going to touch on it to say that this is a fear and trembling that doesn't cause one to hide from God like a slave, but it causes one to run to God. It causes one to fear, what would I do without this relationship with God? It's a fear and trembling that drives us back to seeking God with all of our hearts. Uh, to have a certainty, a certainty that I can't live life, I can't effectively do it without God. And that makes me fearful, that makes me tremble, that I, I don't think I can do this without God. Right. It, it comes secondly with a, a horror of grieving God. You know, I, putting Jesus on the cross with our sin, uh, I tremble and I fear that I might do something that would put him right back on the cross. I choose to crucify him once again when I choose sin. And I fear choosing that. I fear grieving him even more in that relationship. When we really love a person, we're not afraid of them, right? But we do fear what we may do to them or do to that relationship. And so it's in that way that I, I fear in my relationship with God. How might I grieve God more in this relationship? How might I turn away from God? Man, could I live this life? What would my life look like without God? That's what makes me tremble in fear, that, that I might fall into sin or, or go astray if I'm not working out this salvation. 
I don't want to crucify God again and again. That's my fear. And, and the comfort, verse 13, God is working in you. God wants to use you. God wants to give you his grace. That's what gives the extra power, the extra responsibility. That's what gives you the reverent awe rather than a fear. Hey, God wants this relationship with you. He wants to work in you. Hey, he wants you to work it out, pursue him 100%, not just casually. That's the same God who made the universe. That's the same God who is holy and awesome. And that's the same God that we can't dare run away from, but he wants us to run to him. Mm -hmm. Wants that power to be within us. That kind of makes you tremble, right? Mm -hmm. God who made the whole universe wants to give you power and work through you so that you can work it out with the other people in this room. That makes you tremble just a little bit, that God wants to use us in that way. And he wants to use people who are trembling who do fear him, and who do have a contrite heart, who do accept his grace, who do have an anxiety to do it right, who do tremble at his word. To will and to work for his good pleasure, verse 13. I have a couple of scriptures here, and another word. When it says God works in you to act or to do in his good pleasure, those are both the same word, the working and the doing or the acting, energeo. And this is a little different than the other word. This is a word that's always used of God. It's very unique. It's always used of God and it's always used again to completion. Always used to completion. It's much like an electrical circuit. If you have a conductor, if you put energy into that, energeo, much related to energy, literally to energize something, you put electricity into that, it'll light up the light bulb. It'll complete that circuit. It'll work through you in the same way God wants to work through you. Colossians 1.29 says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And that's the same Greek word right there. Hebrews 13.21 to equip you with everything good for doing his will. And he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And Philippians 1.6, this isn't that same Greek word, but it is absolutely that same idea, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. To will and to act in his good purpose. It can't only be our will, and it can't only be empty actions. It has to be both. It has to be both effectively. It can't be work only if we're doing it begrudgingly, or as a slave, and yes, I did the act, but my heart was not behind it. It can't be our will only without the effectiveness, without any overflow into our life. So uh, that verb energeo, I, I encourage us to think about it as that light bulb, it's that effective action. Always used of God, meaning it will always be complete. It can't be done halfway. It can't be half finished. It can't be frustrated. It must be fully effective. Just like that energized wire. That's why God's power for us in order to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Yes, we got to fear and tremble. But in order to walk that walk, we need his power. It's him working in us. It's desperately needed. Yeah. 
that's our motivation that comes after. For it is God who is working in you, giving you that power. Our incentive to work out our salvation. That gives us an even greater responsibility. If we have this power, we can't just be passive about it. We have to use it for the interests of others who are around us. It's been said this way. This is a Spurgeon quote. God works in us, say they. Therefore, there is nothing for us to do. That's bad reasoning and a false conclusion. God works, says the text. Therefore, we must work out because God works in. Because God is working in us, because he's given his grace to us, he's working in us, we have to work it out. We have to live this life. We have to work out our salvation. Therefore, my brothers, I'm just going to read it again. My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That's a working that shows itself. But it's also a working of God that gives us great power in order to walk this walk and live this life. In context, with all of those therefores, all of those motivations, Paul is just talking about living the life worthy of the gospel. Not only looking back to a one-time event and saying, yes, I believe, but actually believing and putting it into practice and living it out. That's what we have to ask ourselves with continuing in this fear and trembling are we working for his glory, for his purpose, for his good pleasure? Are we living a life worthy of the gospel? Or are we just saying, yes, I believe in the gospel, and I made that decision long ago? 